This is Irish Illustrated Insider with Tim O'Malley. I am Tim Priester. It's Monday, September 9th. It is game week once again. Notre Dame plays New Mexico for the first time in the history of both schools. This Saturday in Notre Dame Stadium, Bob Davey will not be back to coach the Lobos against Notre Dame in Notre Dame Stadium. Notre Dame a 37-point favorite. They moved up to number 7 in the poll, opened the season at number 9, moved up to number 8 after the Louisville win and Florida's struggle. Florida was the one that dropped. And now Michigan struggled against Army and Notre Dame benefits and moves up to number 7. Your thoughts before we get into Notre Dame and in New Mexico and Cole Komet and those things, which we will address in this uh, in this first segment. Your thoughts on Michigan Army? I think we all tried to watch that. It was uh, neither you nor I were surprised at all that Army gave them a good game. I don't know no. why the point spread would be twenty three points. That is ludicrous. Um, I didn't think Michigan was a top ten team coming into the season. So if you want to move them out of the top ten, that's fine. But the people that moved them out of the top 10 moved them out of the top 10 when they lost or they beat a top 35 to 40 team. A 21-win team in right. the last two years. They're, I don't, you know, look, Michigan should beat Army just like Notre Dame should beat Navy when Navy's really good. And when Army's really good, Michigan should beat them. And I just don't think this is the reason to, there's a lot of reasons you can bag on a team or a program, but nothing, I think, I think Army's well, really good. No, they are. Now, I, you know, there, there were some. I mean, Michigan fumbled. They lost three fumbles in the first half. It's part of it. When you play Army, you don't, you don't, you can't do those things. You can't no, miss open touchdowns not, like Shea I'm Patterson not, did. I, uh, no, I, I know what you're saying, and I, and I think that Shea Patterson is struggling to adapt to this style of offense. We'll talk about. We do have a Michigan question in segment two. Like if Michigan played Tennessee next week and had never played Army, and they had that game against Tennessee, I would drop them. Army is ten. Army would riddle Tennessee, <laughs> but that's just because they're named Army. I don't want to stick up for Michigan, but Army's a fine yeah. team. If Notre Dame dropped three spots for that game, I would be mad. Well, I ended up watching uh, the Michigan-Middle Tennessee game, and I know because a lot of people were saying they were they played poorly, and I didn't think I didn't think Michigan played poorly per se against Middle Tennessee. Uh, Army takes you out of your game, fumbling three times in the first half, and Shea Patterson missing open receivers, yeah. and and you know having the football knocked out of his hands. That's bad football, and they. Uh, I mean, they got the kind of game that they deserved. I'm not right, really right. sure that they deserved to win the game, but they were at home and they found a way. Uh, yeah, they made the plays that you're supposed to make right. against Army in overtime. Yeah, and they benefited from you know, they, you know, Army had a freshman kicker attempting a 50-yarder to win the game. He didn't come up with it. Uh, we're spending a lot of time talking about a team that Notre Dame doesn't play till week seven or game seven, I should say. But, but it's uh, relevant with the move out of the Notre Dame not playing and just playing a decent but not great game. They've already moved up to number seven. Right, right, no doubt about it. Uh, Cole Komet, we thought we would get. I guess I kind of thought we'd get total clarity on Cole Komet today, as far as it relates to New Mexico. That wasn't the case. He did, as we mentioned in the analysis, Brian Kelly said he did participate in seven on seven. It appears to be up to speed and, and and will likely be ready to play against New Mexico. But you have Georgia the next week. You want to get his feet wet, so to speak, uh, against New Mexico. Yeah. But I think you're probably going to pick your spots against uh, against them and, and let and let Brock Wright and let Tommy Tremble handle most of the tight end play this weekend. And Tommy Tremble can obviously use as many reps as he can get because he'll be part of the offense going forward. The best news is that Cole Komet can play against Georgia, and it doesn't seem like they're forcing him in there. If he's on the fence about playing him this game, that means he certainly will be ready in what is now 12 days 
until Georgia. And that is a weapon they need because it might just be three catches for 14 yards, but maybe one of those is a nine-yard touchdown. He is a difference. He's uh, a difference maker. There, there's no doubt, and they and they absolutely need him on the field yeah. against Georgia because it's going to be a tall task to begin with. If he plays, I'm not positive if my math is correct. Or did he was he injured? I think he was injured on August 9th. I'd have to double check that. I think it was even earlier than that because we were in Culver and we were in Culver on the fourth and the third and fourth and seventh and eighth. But it would be he would have had surgery by the ninth or tenth. So your math is okay, right. Okay, that, yeah. no, that that's what I'm sorry. That's what I meant. That yep. he had surgery. I have it marked down here, and I'm going to look it up. Right, he did. Komet had surgery on the ninth. So if he were to play this weekend on the fourteenth, that would be five weeks. And if he plays a uh, Against Georgia instead six. for the first time in six weeks, and that's that's pretty, pretty great. That's, that's pretty incredible for for a guy with a broken collarbone. But we're not surprised because he he does heal quickly. And I, I wasn't sure if you could compare a high ankle sprain with a with a broken collarbone, but with Cole Komet, I mean he was he was up and moving and catching passes within two weeks after the surgery. Yeah, he was catching passes over his head. We were, I just couldn't believe it when I put the binoculars on him. He's wearing gloves and catching balls. He's remarkable. Yeah, he really is. So he's back. He's he's back and running. How much he'll play against New Mexico, we'll see. I did want to, obviously, we'll talk more about New Mexico on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, we actually, oh, no, that's the following week. Yeah, we'll be doing Thursday this week. Um, and New Mexico beat Sam Houston State 39-31 uh, a couple weekends ago. That was uh, in, in speaking with Bob Davey, uh, who will not be making the trip to Notre Dame, and speaking with him earlier this summer, he said, you know, all the fans keep talking about Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. We want to beat Sam Houston State in the first game because they're a decent FCS team, uh, and you don't want to go to Notre Dame 0-1. So they did find a way, 39-31, over Sam Houston State. Just to give you a couple details, um, Tavaka Toyote, who is their starting quarterback, did not play in that game. His grandfather passed away at some point in August, very close to he was very close to him and the family. He did not play in this game. Instead, it was Brant Hughes and Sharon Jones. Brant Hughes suffered a shoulder injury in the first half of that game. He was only 12 for 29. They didn't throw the ball very well, but they hit they on a bunch. They don't throw the ball very well. No, they yeah. don't throw the ball very well. They want they want Toyota at the at, at the at the quarterback position. Uh, but they did hit some big plays. Um, they gave up 558 yards to Sam Houston State. So, batting down the hatches, I think Chip Long's going to get a, get a 600-yard game here, perhaps fairly easily. Bob Davey was doing, yeah, you know, as you know, as a defensive coach, he was doing a good job defensively in New Mexico, but he bemoaned the fact that it's so hard to get good defensive football talent when you're based in New Mexico. And they've really taken a slide. They've been three and nine the last two seasons, and Notre Dame should have a field day offensively. Yeah, there should be nothing, especially with the Ball State example. I think it actually was a relevant point brought up today. The the Ball State example um, for Week Two last year. Now, after the Michigan game, there was no way Notre Dame was going to be great against Ball State because eighteen to twenty year old kids cannot focus on Ball State after winning the game of the of the first half of the college football season last year. But they also did, shouldn't have needed an onside kick to recover it to secure the win. And I think that's clearly will not be what you see this weekend. They, I expect a, especially with Ian Book's performance against Louisville, I expect to see a machine-like effort against New Mexico from the outset. 
Do you realize how bad Ball State ended up being last year? Which is crazy because, man, they had some decent-looking players in that they game. They sure did. It sure, it, it sure looked Especially like they Especially defensively. Were... Defensively, they had decent-looking players well, that's in that where game. They, yeah. That's where they ultimately were the worst. <laughs> they, 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 uh, they gave up 450 yards total offense per game. They gave up 230, 240 yards rushing per game. Notre Dame only had 117 against them. You know, that they didn't run Brandon Wimbush. And Brandon Wimbush can't pass very well. Well, that was a problem. Did, did they not run Brandon Wimbush, or Brandon Wimbush didn't run? Either way, but he doesn't pass the ball well. So when he didn't run, it took away the weapon that he was, and it still shouldn't have been that close. Right. And I don't can't believe we're talking about Ball State right now. Well, we but, are just because of the comparison. But I, but I really, I mean, it, <coughs> excuse me, as bad as Ball State was defensively last year, New Mexico is going to be worse. Yeah. It should be a <laughs> should be an easy week two. They don't normally have easy week twos at Notre Dame either. Yeah, this you is pointed be that a, out. I'll, I'll put it in a usually just a, the the opponent's a little bit better. Yes, they, but, but even even Ball State's not. But right. you, there's there's been almost every instance other than Nevada where they were coming off a loss to Texas. Notre Dame just does not play well in week two. But I expect them to play great this week too. More on New Mexico and Notre Dame coming up in segment two. Burning up the boards. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Segment two, Burning Up the Boards, brought to you by Rent Like a Champion, South Bend's largest vacation rental company with a 1,000 weekend home rentals close to Notre Dame Stadium, available for Fighting Irish Game Days. Irish Illustrated readers, listeners can get $100 off their booking with the promo code IRISH2019. Dipping back a little bit to segment one and talking about the weekend with Michigan, IC Gold asks, who is more overrated, Jim Harbaugh, Josh Gaddis, or Shea Patterson? The easy answer and the quick one for me is Shea Patterson. If I have to answer to the overrated, I have seen Jim Harbaugh turn Stanford into a Pac-12 championship contender and my 49ers into Super Bowl contenders. I know what he can do. I don't know what's going on recently with Michigan and some of the things Harbaugh's done. I, I thought he would have uh, beaten Ohio State by now um, or not lost by 40. And I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to judge Josh Gaddis on one game where, well, Shea, where no. Shea Patterson misses touchdowns left yeah. and right. No, there's no doubt. I would put Gaddis first just because everybody elevated him to yeah, I guess he's you know, master offensive coordinator. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying anything about this past weekend because Army can be a very difficult foe. Uh but to anoint Josh Gaddis as a, a offensive coordinator who was going to suddenly start scoring a ton right away. We we don't know. No, we don't. But that happens with a lot of offensive coordinators. They get anointed when they have something that about them in their resume. I'll put it this way: he is not the second best offensive coordinator on Michigan. I don't think Jay Patterson might be the second best quarterback on Michigan in college. Uh, well, I would have Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Harbaugh's the best coach on Michigan. Gaddis is probably the best offensive coordinator. You're not Michigan. sure that Patterson's I'm not sure Patterson's the best quarterback. Perhaps on Michigan. McCaffrey is. Yeah. Anyway, I'd say Gaddis is the most. Overrated right now, and then I would say Patterson. I would agree with you, Harbaugh. Um, there are just some curious losses by Harbaugh that I would not have forecasted. Not against bad teams. No, he's, no, he's, he's, done, he's no. done nothing but beat bad right, teams. Right, right. But he's 
Yeah, I don't know. You there's know, some I, no I mean, show. There's some odd no shows by them. I don't. I'm surprised by that. I mean, Notre Dame really handled them. Ohio State obliterated them. Uh, you can say what you want about the Florida game, but Florida killed them. I know you don't necessarily show up to the bowl game in the same mind, but yeah, you're, coach, you're the I, they, coach of the team. You're keeping you can, score. It's yeah. on TV. I mean, you have a responsibility. Yeah. The coach has a res- the players do, of course, but the coach has a responsibility to bring out the best in the players. And I mean, you know, Notre Dame shows up for bowl games. They may not be good enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, that's but absolutely they, true. They certainly show up, um, you know, for the lesser ones. Wash ND. If ND doesn't dominate New Mexico, would you officially be concerned about Notre Dame in 2019? Um, I could see the defense having some issues with New Mexico's offense. I know in talking to Bob Davey that he felt pretty good about some of the components they have offensively. He likes their offensive line. He likes the the quarterback depth that he has. Um, Toyota is the guy I think that he prefers to have on the field. Uh, but defensively, man, Notre Dame should be able to... I, 600 yards total offense, and then however many points you generate from that much yardage. I mean, you got to be 45 with inefficiencies, right? They yeah. 35 against Louisville, and they were inefficient. I mean, this is so it's in modern football, they got to put it up on New Mexico. And now, here's one interesting aspect of this game for me you want Phil Dracoic to play quite a bit because you certainly don't want his first snap to be at Georgia. <laughs> no. Um, but when he comes in, the offense probably won't be quite as efficient as Ian Book. He's yeah. a great athlete, so he could make many, many no, plays. But they, but, but they need to just—they need to go in with the mindset that okay, we're running the offense. We're, we yes. are, we're not concerned with the score. Right, I agree. We're going to run the offense because this is what Notre Dame needs to do in order to help prepare for Game Three. Yeah. Until your final, your penultimate possession, you run your offense. If there's five minutes left and you get the ball, you can run the clock. But you have to go play football with Phil Dracovic. He has to be, and he has to play more than a quarter. You've got to find a way to get him in. You, Ian Book is going to run twenty times. Possibly against Georgia, he's going to get hit. Yeah, I, I'll I'll be <laughs> concerned if Notre Dame's offense struggles. Yes. If their defense has some issues, well, it's still a a growing process for them. I'll, uh, I'll still be mildly concerned. They, if they have too many issues on defense. No, oh, yeah. I agree. I mean, if if um, yeah, if New Mexico's scoring in the twenties, that's probably in like if they score three touchdowns, that's too many for for a Notre Dame defense in any year. Yeah, against an yeah. opponent like that. Army 72, regarding Ian Book, could his discomfort in the pocket simply be a result of lack of contact in practice? I never thought about that. Um, I don't know what to make of his discomfort in the pocket. I saw on the board today, he's a little shorter. That's not that big of a deal really in college for me, for an experienced veteran quarterback. Um, I mean, it's obviously it's ideal to be. As you pointed out, Daniel Jones was 6'5", a long time ago. So that was a thing. But I never really thought of that. The contact in the pocket, I don't find him to be a guy that shies away from contact as a player, though. The way he runs with some abandon. Yeah, I've never, um, I've never it's thought. It's a good question. It's a neat well, it question. Is, but I, I, but I don't think, it, I, in, in no offense to Army 72, but I don't think it's relevant because every quarterback, no, That's true no too. starting yeah. quarterback today takes takes contact in practice. No, unless you're Army and Navy, you're not you're not getting hit. They protect everybody. Right. They protect runners nowadays. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's part of the game today in the 2019 quarterback that, you're not going to get hit. So, um, you know, I mean, you have to, I mean, in practice, you have to sim- simulate an, enough so that he feels the pressure of the, the, the pass rush and, and adjusts accordingly. But whether that's the reason or not, I really think the point is moot because that's what every quarterback has to face. 
It, it can't resurface this week, though, because it was phantom pressure that he felt. The sack that Jameer Smith missed the block, we can argue, left all of us can argue, if he should have seen that blitz coming and known Brock Wright and Lawrence Keys are both going to be wide open right. to the right. But other than that, he was feeling phantom pressure. And that's probably the frustrating thing for the staff, more so than us. <laughs> their livelihood depends yeah, on Yeah, de- and yeah. definitely. I mean, I guess... You know, maybe you can you can give them a, you can give them a quote pass on the first game and say, okay, sure, pick it up, sure. pick it up from here, and then then all is forgiven. CMU Pens fan, based on your last podcast, what do you believe Kurt Heinisch would have to do in order to become a more complete player? I just think Kurt Heinisch will can he just has to continue to improve at what he does. He has to penetrate, hold the point. I don't think he's going to be a playmaking nose tackle. No, I thought there was some promise last year as a guy that could that that could make some stops behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, I guess my answer would be grow a couple inches to help him get a little bit of leverage. And that, that obviously is not going to happen. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think what you're saying, I mean, you have to maximize what you have. Right. He, he was a three to four star level player. Um, I liked his high school film. I thought he had, I thought he had four star characteristics, uh, but he's never going to be a, a, a dominant nose tackle because he doesn't have the, stature for that so he has to keep getting stronger and in fairness to Kurt Heinisch he should probably be a red shirt sophomore right now there's no you doubt know? and instead that he was playing him. right away he was playing game he was playing first quarter <laughs> yeah of his freshman year um yeah and you know I mean he doesn't have to be a dominant player but he needs to be he needs to get off blocks that's <laughs> yeah and he's that, gonna do he's gonna have to do some heavy lifting at Georgia because they just need a point in the middle there where I mean, Jacob Lacey, I think Jacob Lacey will take a fair number of his snaps next season, but I don't think he's ready to do that right now. I don't think he is so either. So you're really going to have to have Heinisch play his best in that situation. Statman72, linebackers benefit when the D-line can, quote, keep them clean by occupying the offensive linemen. Jerry Tillery undoubtedly helped Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil last year by doing that. Are we expecting too much from this year's linebackers given the interior D linemen they are playing behind? By comparison, we are. I mean, but they're not. We don't, we don't expect them to look like Cody Tranquil no, no. at all. We're not. We're not comparing them to them. Um, I, you know, I just thought Asmar Bilal in the first half had too many run fits where he just didn't. It's not like he doesn't know. He just looks like he gets paralysis by analysis looking at the play. He played a little bit in the second half. People had already given up on. Well, him completely. it's interesting that Brian Kelly is just like disregarding any criticism of. Bilal and just saying that I don't think the other guys fine. are physical when they hit each other when they hit people. I can't imagine Jordan Jenmark Heath hitting Georgia's running backs. No, I wouldn't think so. And and Jack Lamb's going to be challenged with that. And and yeah, don't you think that it's just the physicality? If Bilal can get the right run fit, he's a physical enough guy to hold up in the game. You would you would think so, but he he was not hitting run fits. I, no. I asked Brian Kelly, was there anybody? My my question about was there anybody that maybe didn't play a lot against Louisville or during your week of practice last week where you said, hey, we got to get him on the field more. And he he said no. I, I That question was originally for Sunday, and I couldn't get through to ask because right. I thought, and I was going to ask about linebackers because I thought he might say Jack Lamb at that point. And, I mean, he really kind of did throughout the press conference. He mentioned Bo Bauer. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bo Bauer has been coming on. So that was really the answer to the question that he chose. I wrote to about use, it but... today in Monday Musings. If you're going to play Bo Bauer, it's coming up. This, you, it's George is going to run the ball that's so a, much at you and no, try to impose their will. And I don't mean he's not starting over Drew White. That's not a thing. Drew White, <laughs> Drew White won the job 
with the way he played against Louisville. But Drew White could use ten plays off that aren't the ten plays he that aren't, that aren't the twenty plays he gets off in the nickel and dime. Actually, he stays in the nickel. He comes out in the dime. He could use some he could use some rotation time too. Right. And I know everybody's asking about Shane Simon. I, I, Simon did start showing some stuff. Um, he's I, just another non-contact guy right now, right? Yeah, I thought he showed some stuff. Samson saw some things where he didn't feel that he was very physical, which has been the rap against uh, against Simon uh, really since last year. He made a really nice play on, actually, people might remember this, the Kyle Hamilton miss, the first time Kyle Hamilton in yes. his career did anything wrong. Simon, really nice run fit to take up the block that's supposed to clear the safety for right. that stop. I mean, if he could do more of that, that's a Lohi Gilman normally coming down to make the play. He was in for Gilman. On the play, I, we all want. I shouldn't say we all want. We, you and I, don't care who plays. We want the best player to play. I get why people want Shane Simon to play because of being a highly ranked player that is a very fast athlete. So if he can put it together, there's an upside. Well, and I get why you you want, so to speak, <laughs> Bo Bauer because you're looking for some some power, some, some hitting, more power some, and physicality there. Jim underscore Booney CRS Tim Priester with an ND bye week allowing viewers to watch other Notre Dame opponents. I think I know who he's talking about. Are you having any second thoughts on your first rate series rankings? Uh, yeah, I guess I kind of assumed he was talking about me having Michigan ranked ahead of Notre Dame on by the offensive a, line, probably right. Well, it, by, by a total of seven points over ten categories. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I so I went back and looked, and we had we had Ian Book ahead of Shea Patterson. We had Michigan's running backs eighth out of thirteen teams. Notre Dame's twelve opponents and Notre Dame. We had Notre Dame's fifth. I would adjust that one because well, now, I like yeah, Mi- yeah. well, but I like Michigan even if Notre Dame wasn't banged up. Even with Jafar, I like I like Char- I like yeah. Charbonnet and Turner. Charbonnet uh, fumbled against Army, but I I think he's a quality running back. So if I were to adjust anything, I'd probably bring Michigan a little bit closer to Notre Dame at running back. You might just for the people listening though. You might have a Jafar Armstrong coming off an 80-yard receiving game with 109 rushing yards, too, and against Louisville. You know, and you could look at it a little and differently. And would, lo- would look at it differently, right. certainly, but that didn't happen, no. and that counts, too. <laughs> uh, wide, re- <laughs> wide receiver tight ends. I had Michigan a couple spots ahead of Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'd still keep them there. I think Tariq Brack- Black needs to catch the football more consistently. Yeah. Although um, Bell, number eight, I thought really came on after struggling against Middle Tennessee. Anyway, offensive lines, we had Michigan one spot ahead of Notre Dame. Defensive lines, we had Notre Dame one spot ahead of Michigan. Linebackers, we had Notre Dame eighth. We had Michigan second. I don't think that I would change that. DBs, one spot apart, Notre Dame ahead. The, the, special, the special teams, I had uh, Michigan significantly ahead of Notre Dame. I wouldn't change that. And then schedule doesn't change, I guess. Uh, and we had Brian Kelly number one. Now the mission's got Jim through Harbaugh. Army, it might. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we had Brian Kelly number one on the list and Jim Harbaugh number four. So would I change anything? No, because I think Notre Dame would have struggled against Army. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. I, I Look, I think Michigan's a top 20 team and Army's a top 35 team. And the top 35 team team played better. Now, in fairness to Jim Booney, CRS, he didn't say anything about Michigan. No, so he did not. Maybe here. he's mad about I'm somebody assume, else. In there. Right, I'm assuming here. So I apologize if you're not talking about USC's quarterback, Notre Dame, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's true. Uh, looking really good, and he's got you know he's got the receivers say, to bail him out. Helps a little bit if he needs them. But I mean, if the conversation uh, or if the question was about Michigan, I would not change it. Uh, because it's early in the season, and Michigan found a way to win, just like Notre Dame found a way to win. 
and I still think they're pretty evenly matched. At Indy Irish Fan 88, does Tommy Tremble become a bigger part of the offense after having a good game at Louisville? Yes, and I have a theory on how it's going to happen. Cole Komet will be back, which is great, and Tommy Tremble can play the detached slot for Lawrence Keys or share it with Lawrence Keys. Share it with Chris Fink. Tommy yeah. Tremble can go out to X and play that for Chris Fink and Lawrence Key. Tommy Tremble can play wide receiver. Well, it's interesting you mentioned X because we talked about and I and I wrote about it in uh in Tale of the Tape. I mean with with uh Chris Fink at X, it's not his it, best position. No, it's, it's definitely not, not a good matchup for him against corners. Although I mean, he had a touchdown should... to start the game. Uh, why don't you share that? First play of the game when Ian Book ran for 37 yards. No one's going to really complain about that because he saw the middle linebacker turn his head and run backwards. I contend if you look at and they show you a back a, re, a replay from the back, from behind the offense, Chris Fink has a touchdown right down the sideline. And I have heard from others that they think Jafar Armstrong had a touchdown down the <laughs> post, but I believe that it they would take it. Brady Quinn's arm to get the ball there, not yeah, Ian Book's. Be. But Chris Fink, right down the field. Opening play, they ran three verticals, <laughs> which is why he gained 37 yards, in fairness to Ian Book. There yes. were three verticals, they cleared out, he took the yards. Yeah, but Tommy, you know, I think Tommy Tremble, I mean, even with Cole Komet back, obviously he's going to play less than a healthy Cole Komet, but I, I think it's an interesting duo to have on the field. We know that Chip Long likes double tight end, partly because of the blocking, which Tommy Tremble is not adept at yet. But Tommy Tremble blocking instead of Lawrence Keyes is still no doubt an, about an, it. an advantage it's there. It's a 235-pound right, yeah. there, no doubt. Joseph Ramos, did I pronounce that right? We will find out for the last time because yeah. he's told us before. Yeah, I know. With Jafar Armstrong out, do you think or anticipate Sebo Flemister being able to step up and be explosive, speedy running back the offense is going to need, or will it be more of a move to a power running game? Well, I tell you what, because of the news from Brian Kelly today that Jameer Smith hurt his toe in Saturday's scrimmage, and we don't know what toe injuries bring, he did not sound overly positive he would play against New Mexico, which... If he has a toe injury, I would not play him against New Mexico. We might get to see some SIBO. That Jameer Smith was clearly the number two to Tony Jones. Clearly. And now, I think you'll see some SIBO and Kyron Williams because I would not play a injured Jameer Smith when you need him against Georgia. Yeah, and I think, and I, I'm kind of guilty of this myself, kind of giving up on SIBO Flemister, and then everybody, everybody's... The only reason I haven't is because I still ranked him high coming out of high oh. school higher than other people did. Well, I mean, I think, you know, as as is usually the case with true freshmen, it's like, hey, what about Kyron Williams? What about, I think him in the passing game, I'm not so sure in the running game yet. Kyron, you mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, you'd like to see Flemister get some opportunities to run the football, and he is definitely the speediest guy that they have without Jafar Armstrong. I tell you what, if he doesn't get opportunities to run against New Mexico, he won't get them. Because this is the time. You have an injured player, two injured running backs. You're moving a cornerback over who was a quarterback. It's not like Avery Davis was a running back. Right. We didn't mention that. We mentioned that in the instant yeah. analysis, but Avery Davis, the former quarterback, the former running back, the former slot receiver, the former cornerback, is now back in the offensive backfield and is a good soldier, as Brian Kelly pointed out, that uh, he wants what's best for the team and knows that they need him at running back. They asked him. You know, you have enough... <laughs> You have enough chutzpah to go back to the kid and ask him. You probably feel pretty confident that he'll go ahead and accept it. I like the way Kelly said it too. If I was him, I would probably would be sick of the head coach myself. I don't. This is better for Avery Davis to play offense. Well, it it is, and I'm sure Avery Davis realizes that 
He's not in the depth chart. He's not in the top two depth chart at any position at Notre Dame right now. No, but so, you could use more running backs right now. They're not going to take out Bracey and Crawford and Vaughn to put in Avery Davis. Not to mention Pride. I think they would play Agoro in a tough spot. I would I would expect them to play right. him. I think he is more adept as a cornerback than Avery Davis is at this point. So, to kind of go back to Flemister, uh, this is his time to play this game. There's no reason Tony Jones should carry more than 16 times against New Mexico. I don't know if Jameer Smith will play or not with a toe injury, but this is your time to see if you have something in Flemister. We will say never impressed as a receiver, which is why I think he has had trouble breaking into the mix because you have to be able to do that. I don't know enough about him in pass protection other than when it's his first game, he's not going to know where to go just like Jameer Smith. But this will be his chance to play. At NFL Mockstar, who would you say is the most to blame for the depleted running back room? Lack of recruiting success in 16 and 17, injuries or suspensions and transfers? To some degree, it's a combination of all yeah. those things. Um, we've talked about Autry Denson as a recruiter at running back. Um, and it's not; it doesn't all fall on him. You have, right. you have uh, geographical, regional um, recruiters working. But, you know, I think it's a combination of all of them. I, and Autry Denson was not a... Uh, high-level recruiter, and so that that certainly hurt them and helped put them in this situation. Um, I still think that you have, I still think you have some talent there. With Jafar, you really have some more talent than you have right now, though. Yeah, and it's you know I don't I, I mean the the head coach and the coordinators have to sign off on who you want at your positions too. So. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's a combination of, of those things. It's really here nor there now. It's who, you have who you have. You, there's no waiver wire, as as they say. And although I guess Avery Davis, they got him off. They the, got him off the waiver wire a little on bit. On team waiver wire. And Jafar Armstrong too, really. Um, yeah, McIntosh. Dion McIntosh would be a senior. Yep. He was a uh, dismissal. C.J. Holmes, a dismissal, would be a junior. The room would look better now. Mark, got, you lost Marquis Step, that was right. verbally, verbally committed, who's becoming a pretty good running back. I'm not sure what he did this weekend, but becoming a, mm-hmm. a pretty good running back at USC. Jafar Armstrong uh, would make Tony Jones better. I saw, I, I, like, I read the article. Is Tony Jones a lead back? And everybody jumping to say, no, no, no. What are you talking about? You were asking the question. That Tony yeah, Jones I wasn't is the lead back. I yeah. wasn't stating it. Sometimes it's good to report and not just put your own opinion right. out there and everything. Um, odd, huh? To report things as opposed to just. Uh, Tell your opinion 100 percent over and over and over and over again. But Jafar, it was a house of cards, though, because Jafar Armstrong was necessary. Tony Jones is necessary. Jameer Smith was necessary. And now you could be without two of them. And you have to find out what you have in Flemister and other guys. So it is all of them. Um, I think the least is suspensions and transfers because you got to be able to kick guys out that break your team rules repeatedly. There is no gray area on kicking the guys out either. Like People are like, oh, he's a good kid. How do you know? Look, there are plenty of things they did wrong to get kicked out, all right? Well, I just read about C.J. Holmes, how he's a good kid or whatever. Maybe he was, but he did a lot wrong, including this before his first ever training camp practice. So, And, and Dion McIntosh's decision-making while at Notre Dame right. was what? was very suspect. No, no doubt about that. So that's last, because Brian Kelly has to be able to govern his team. Um, lack of recruiting success is probably number one on the list. I would agree. Uh, I'm adding one here, Tim, uh, from at Jim LaFrance. I'm really worried that Ian Book can't carry the offense with the skill play, skill position player reductions. Do the Irish have enough skill experience to beat top ten teams? Well, Michigan's out of the top ten. Uh, no, just kidding. Georgia is going to be extremely hard to beat with all hands on deck. 
I would feel better about Notre Dame going into Athens at night with a confident Ian Book, which I assume will come from this weekend, and a totally healthy Cole Komet, Michael Young, Kevin Austin, Jafar Armstrong. I'd give them every chance to go in and pull off a very big 9-10 to 10 point spread upset. With what they have now, I do not give Notre Dame much of a chance to go into Athens and win. I think they lost two. I think Young, Austin, and Armstrong are a lot to overcome just by Komet coming back. Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree. I mean, I, I think I probably would have ended up coming to the same conclusion regardless, but that's not the situation. This is the situation, and it's, uh, you know, it's rough going into a place where you've never been before. You know that the crowd is going to be berserk for Notre Dame being there. Uh, there won't be a lot of blue-clad and green-clad Notre Dame fans in that stadium because Georgia fans won't allow it like Notre Dame fans did a couple years ago. So, um, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves, I guess, a little bit here, but that's because Notre Dame should be able to score as much as they want this weekend against New Mexico. They could beat Michigan's 10. They could beat Michigan, um, who's on their schedule as a top-10 team, with as currently constructed, of course. Nobody else is... I don't think Virginia and USC are going to rise up to top 10 level, but those are the next best well, teams. They, they wouldn't beat Clemson. They wouldn't beat Alabama. Well, they, they wouldn't beat Clemson and Alabama with those guys, though. Uh, no, they wouldn't. That, that's um, the key. They could, Georgia, they give a run. I, I was going to have them giving Georgia a run in early August with, those, with, yeah. all the, with the whole team. Yeah. I knew Austin was gone, but everybody else. Yeah. Uh, LSU's looking, uh, obviously, a lot better. Oklahoma. That's just a weird, just, that's a hard team to outscore with your Notre Dame. It, it really is. <laughs> or anyone. I, I don't, you know, Ohio State. May not be as experienced and as good as they have been in years past, but that's a tough matchup for Notre Dame. I think the D could rise up and beat Auburn with Bo Nix. Because remember, the defense is involved here, too. We're worried about Notre Dame's game against Georgia because we don't think the defense is going to play great for four quarters against their run. Right. I think they could against Auburn. And Florida uh, Florida's not. Yeah, Florida, beat Florida still has their quarterback issues, yeah. and Notre Dame obviously could compete with them. So, And right uh, after that, you're in Utah, Texas, Penn State, Wisconsin. You yeah, the, the only the only – area where this is applicable is Georgia. right now is and Georgia right. and that's that's coming up so uh we'll see but it's obviously looking difficult for Notre Dame I also want to insert this Tim uh from PG Duman will Phil, Phil Jerkovic or other backups play on Saturday or is this going to be another letdown like the easy games expected last year and on Labor Day it's a viable question because we certainly previewed Phil Dracovic playing against Ball State last year this time right well let me let me just you know Labor Day they played an 18 point underdog who no, was going not, to be yeah. I, and Louisville I'm sorry doesn't fit into that they shouldn't have beaten Louisville by 35 no it would have been just coming in the last second to last drive for for Dracovic. that wouldn't have been the same as this right. we expect I expect but Phil Dracovic to play I, quite a bit I, I expect him to play quite a bit now you got to get you got to get Ian Book right. Yeah, and he wasn't right coming out of the Louisville game, so he's got to play into the third quarter. Yes. <coughs> yeah, unless you're out there putting a fifty spot up in the first half in one of those ridiculous games, then he's... then let him play. You know, the first. I still think you play the first series of the second half, but you have to put Jerkovic in there under those circumstances and let him run the offense that you feel is designed for him to have the most success. Yeah, he's never had a chance other than, hey, it's third and ten after we'd ran twice, now try and throw. That's right. not, he just, he's got to play football. And then I don't think Brendan Clark gets reps because there's no point. you got to get Dracovic every single rep, unless you're unless Brendan Clark is running the offense by kneeling down and not kneeling, but handing the ball off. Clark doesn't have to run the offense. He can run the last, he can run the last series to get his feet wet. 
He's not playing more than four games. So no, I I, I would agree with that. I would agree. Uh, let's go with that last question. Too. Way to go, K man! What overreaction from the Louisville game are you most confident will become a non-issue? And what is the fan base underreacting to that will remain a problem? Well, the first thing that comes to mind with me with the first one, uh, the overreaction, and I guess you could say I'm as guilty of that coming out of Louisville because we expected more from Ian Book. Having said that, Book is Book's one of your greatest assets. That's why I wrote the whole column about it. <laughs> he has to be great. I, great By great, I mean he has to complete 70% of his passes like he did last year when he was hot. Right. Yeah, he does, and he hasn't been a 70% passer really since those first handful of games. No, but I will take the Ian Book we saw at USC other than the interception in the end zone. He made plays, right? He did make plays. He got off to another slow start. Yeah. Uh, I think in general they did, but he got off to another slow start. Um, so what's the, what is the, the fan base underreacting to that will remain a, pro- remain a problem moving forward? I, I doubt that there's any shortcoming with Notre Dame that the – fan base and us in the media are underreacting to. Do we anoint anything after game one? Not really. I mean, not enough people played very well. Underreacting. I I mean, Kyle Hamilton is going to have to tackle great against Georgia because he's going to need to be a difference maker in there. I'm sure on third and 13, Georgia's going to dump one off of the back and he's going to come out to make a, make a play, right? Yeah, I'm not going to fault a guy that made as many plays as he did. No, not at all, but it's about to get harder. <laughs> Uh, yet, it, there's no doubt that it will. Um, Offensive line was... F- ah, we're not underreacting that, though. The third and ones were annoying. Third and one, third and two, third right, and other, one. Otherwise, they played pretty well, all things considered. If you want to gloss over the fact they had so many issues on... Th- but you listen, if you if you kind of go to back channels, Ian Book was a little bit at fault on those third right. downs, right? So maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong in saying that we sh- that's not an overreaction to him because he... he uh, he has to be a great decision maker for yeah. them. There's no, there's a pre-snap. He has to be a great decision maker, and not seeing a bunch formation to the left with one defender, you know, oh, bunch, a bunch being right. three, yeah, three guys to one defender who ended up falling down. Then I just never would have yeah, the defender felt that was it's a forty yard gain yeah. on third and one. Yeah. I think the days of, especially with an RPO offense, the days of third and one were definitely lining it up, moving people out of the way, are over at Notre Dame, or are over as long as the regime is here. So that is partly on Ian Book, if you're wondering why we think it's not all the offensive line's fault when it's six guys blocking eight. It's up to Ian Book to see that. And I think we I think we were asked somewhere along the line, well, does he have the, the, the power to do that? He absolutely does. He did right from the very beginning. Uh, that was one of the reasons why he started ahead of, of Brandon Wimbush, who ironically lost his starting job this past weekend at C- Central Florida. I, mean, I shouldn't say ironically. Uh, you know, we, we understood his struggles in terms of recognition, and, and that, that's come to fruition. But uh, I don't know. We, you know, I, <laughs> on Thursday we'll talk a lot more about New Mexico, but there isn't a whole lot to – we're gonna, we talked a little bit about Georgia today. We're going to be talking about Georgia even more three days. Yeah, yeah, it's a rough, it's a rough situation for Notre Dame fans in New Mexico and, and analysts and reporters because you can only get so much. I mean, they win fifty to thirteen. Was that enough for you? Should it be enough for you? I mean, that's what what, what can they really do besides win fifty to thirteen, right? Well, I, and I don't, yeah, and I don't think anything. You don't get much out of that. Just like Georgia's Georgia with Murray State, and they have Appalachian State this week. They have they had Murray State. I think they have, but either way, they're winning by thirty if they don't play great. Yeah, and I, I don't like I don't like to put numbers on no, it. No, it's, it's, it's high. It, you know, it's like well, 
if they don't win by so if they don't win by thirty five, not I mean not necessarily. I, you know, I, I understand against an opponent like New Mexico that the numbers should be extreme. I get that, but just play better football, make yeah. better decisions. Ian Book, Ian um, Book should look great. You know the run, the run, yeah, the the running backs have a good day where, where you're encouraged by a Sebo Flemister or somebody like that. But even Ian Book looking great doesn't. The only thing it means for Georgia is he goes into the week confident and not not lamenting his mistakes like he did for this past that, off week. For him, that's significant because it has been an issue at times in his eleven starts as as. You know, uh, I mean, think back to his start against North Carolina a couple of years ago. Did you suspect that he was nervous that day? I've never thought of him as nervous until, logically, when everybody was nervous against USC. What about the Pittsburgh? whole team was nervous against USC? I, did, I get, maybe we didn't look look at it that way against Pittsburgh. I just didn't think of nerves at the time. Yeah, right. Because yeah. I mean, a Narducci defense can can be a little bit tricky. And I thought he was confused against Pitt. I never thought he went into the game being concerned right. about Pitt. Right. I just thought right they played well. Right. We'll be back on Thursday, September 12th. We expect Samson to join us. We appreciate you joining us today on Irish Illustrated Insider. It's time to start planning your trip to Notre Dame. Rent Like a Champion is South Bend's largest vacation rental company with over 1,000 weekend home rentals available close to Notre Dame Stadium. Head to rentlikeachampion.com slash illustrated to get $100 off your booking when you use the promo code IRISH2019. That's rentlikeachampion.com slash illustrated promo code IRISH2019.